Welcome to Ghostcasters Podcast. I'm C.G. Mosley. I'm your host, as always. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Adam Boyette. Um, Adam, how are you today? Pretty good. Uh, been busy this week, just getting stuff done, trying to catch up a little bit with stuff. But uh, overall, pretty good week. How about yourself? <clears throat> been a good week. We're just uh, getting ready for Halloween now. They're talking like... Uh, the temperatures are finally going to drop pretty dramatically when on Halloween night, I guess. That's what it looks like. Uh, uh, well, you're gonna I, have I'm your... personally looking forward to it. Halloween's supposed to be cold. <laughs> this is going to be our first Halloween without having kids at home. Uh, both my children will be off at college this year, so I don't know quite what we're going to do. We'll see. We don't live in a high-traffic area, so we may not have a lot of visitors or whatever, but just kind of interested to see what happens this Halloween. Well, I know you won't, but you can always drive your ass to pedal. We have a haunted trail in our neighborhood, and uh, it's a big. We, we did it for the first time last year. We're doing it for the second time this year, and the turnout was huge last year. And uh, they're doing it again. And this year, the homeowners association they decided they would charge people that don't live in the neighborhood uh, a little bit to do this. Reason being, they want to try to continue to make this a annual event, but they want to buy better stuff for it. Uh, so any money that they get from it, they're going to put toward next year's Halloween Haunted Trail. So I don't know, kind of excited about that. It's it's becoming a big deal in our neighborhood, and it's a really great neighborhood to trick-or-treat in anyway. Yeah. All right, well, I guess we'll get started with a little bit of ghost news like we always do. Uh, we've got two stories. Uh, I'll go first. I've got a story from the DailyMail.com. Um, I actually saw this news story. It's it, it's well covered. A lot of people were covering it. I saw it floating around everywhere, but um, the headline. Is that oh, supposed hell. to be a pun? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I guess you could take it that way, yeah. So the headline says, Spooky Season Moment Ghost Flies Past Front of Haunted New Hampshire Restaurant Built in 1785, Setting Off Motion Detector Alarms. So the owners of an 18th century restaurant believe a ghost has been caught on camera, which locals, or I'm sorry, with locals flocking to back up the sighting with their own spooky stories about the establishment. Uh, staff say that the spirit set off the motion detector as it floated by uh, and don't believe that the imagery could just be lights from a car or a gust of wind. The restaurant in the Rockingham Hotel has a long history of hauntings and they've been documented in detail over the years. It's been, or it's described as an elegant 1785 mansion set as a clubby backdrop for steakhouse fare, wines, and a buzzy bar scene. This place is 238 years old. Uh, it's known to be a hot spot for high-profile politicians like Presidents George Washington, Franklin Pierce, James K. Polk, Theodore Roosevelt, Chester Arthur, William Taft, and John F. Kennedy. Um, and the restaurant wrote, Our building, the Rockingham, is known for its ghosts and notably the ones in the library basement. Last night, for the very first time, our motion detector alarms inside the building were set off by this camera motion caught on video in the dead of night outside the window. The motion detectors inside cannot see what the camera outside sees. It is not lights from the car because you can see how others are picked up and there is no horizontal wind blowing. So what can this be? Make of it what you will, but this has never happened before. Spooky coincidence for the time of year? Sounds like they're trying to really drum up some business. Uh, the chilling footage has attracted a lot of attention, especially from local customers who share their own ghost stories about the haunted restaurant. One Facebook user said, The lady in white. Some residents have claimed to see her in the hallways. One wrote a poem about her experience. Multiple people said the women's bathroom at the restaurant is haunted. One comment on Facebook said, I have been to the library many times, and I assure you that there is a female ghost in the bathroom area in the lower level. And another shared the same claim, saying, That's definitely a ghost, and I've seen plenty of them. I used to live across the street. The women's restroom at the library is haunted. Now, of course, 
Anytime you got a lot of believers, you're also going to have some skeptics with one trying to bust the claims and wrote. So we're we going to talk about the jump cut in the video at the time of the ghost or that the time code in the upper right hand corner skips from 229 to 231. But yeah, totally legit supernatural behavior uh, caught on camera in air quotes. Um, one person who appeared to be a regular at the historic joint speculated is this fog? Another asked, what am I supposed to be seeing? So <laughs> there is video that is shared here. Uh, I don't know if you've had a chance to look at the video, Adam. I have. Uh, some people think that, or not just think, they're pretty certain that it's not a ghost, it's fog, it's wind, or some steam, or something like that. What are you making of it? So let me ask you this. Have you ever had, like, I had this happen. Um, I think I told people here last week that, uh, my son had been in an accident, so I've been driving uh, an older vehicle of ours, and uh, it's got some, you know, it, it's kind of moist in there because I think it's got a leak in somewhere, so it's had some moisture in it. And uh, the other day, it was in the low, the mid 40s or so, uh, and basically, when I was driving down the road, the window all of a sudden would get foggy. Or get you know cloudy or whatever, right. and then it's turned back to clear, and it get cloudy and then clear, and uh, it really does look like fog or cloud or something like that to me. It really doesn't look like it goes, but the fact that they talk about the motion sensors picking it up, that kind of makes it a little bit weird, and yeah. uh, shows in the video shows the police showing up later on and stuff like that. So <coughs> I think it's a little bit weird. Uh, but like I said, I, it, when you look at the video, it absolutely does look like fog or wind or something along those lines. Yeah. I'm kind of thinking the same thing. Um, you know, the, uh, the people that run this, the staff at the establishment said, made comment like, uh, is it a coincidence? You know, this would happen this spooky time of the year. Hell no, it's not a coincidence. Y'all, in my opinion, you guys were looking for something. To, to point out and say, hey, we're haunted. Come come visit us. Um, and maybe they are haunted. I don't know. I just, this particular instance, um, I'm not really sold on it. I'll, uh, I'll try to get the video in question on our Instagram page so you can uh, look at it and draw your own conclusions. But anyway, that's, that's enough about that. What do you have? Uh, well, I've got a, another one now. This story is not from uh, an uh, outlet overseas like the Daily Mail, but it does talk about another English-type person here. We're talking about Dame Judi Dench. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So, so when you think about her, what movies come to your mind? Uh, the first ones that come to my mind are the James Bond movies. That's the same ones that come to mind. I know she's been in some more and stuff like that, but that's why I always think. What was her character's name? Was it M? I think she was M, I think right? it was, yeah. I've never so, been a big James Bond fan. Believe it or not, and a lot of people are probably just, their jaws are going to hit the floor. I've never watched a single James Bond movie all the way through. <laughs> that's pretty crazy. I didn't know that. Um, not, not a single one, not any... Sean Connery, Roger Moore, or Daniel Craig, any of them. Now, I have watched all the Daniel Craig ones, and I watched all Pierce the Pierce Brosnan. Brosnan. I watched uh, all uh, those. Timothy Dalton. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> None of them. Really? And, and, I, and I'm sure they are good movies. I've always heard that. But, yeah, uh, they are. I, I enjoy the Daniel Craig ones. It is a lot of action and things like that in it. And, there's, All there's, that said, I I knew that uh, Judy Dench was in. I knew she was in the movies. So, yeah. so right. uh, what she's uh, she's got a ghost story. Well, she's telling ghost stories, so she's explaining some of the ghost stories that she had. Now, I didn't. I knew she was older. I didn't realize she was eighty eight years old. Um, she told a story about she saw a ghost one time at London's historic Hay, uh, Haymarket Theater. Uh, and this was back in 1998. She was attending a memorial service for an actor named Michael Dennison. Uh, he had died at that time. They had the, um, the what we would call a wake or whatever there. Uh, so she says, it was in the afternoon. I saw someone wearing a top hat and tails running down the stairs. And I thought, what a funny get out, a get up. 
Um, so now, like I said, you know, this is a bunch of actors and stuff. So I probably wouldn't have thought anything about somebody being dressed like an old timey person or whatever. That probably thought, well, this is just an eccentric actor running up and down the stairs. Um, Actor Brendan O'Hay, whom she co-wrote her upcoming book, Shakespeare, The Man Who Pays the Rent, about her experience doing theaters, backed up her supernatural tale, saying he saw, uh, knows someone else who's claimed to have seen the infamous Haymarket ghost. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. He explained to the out that the actress had told him about a man who kept entering through a theater door, only as someone pointed out, there is no door. Upon reflection, Dench acknowledged that perhaps she had not seen the apparition what I what I've seen, it may not have been a ghost, uh, but I did like the thought of them. Why on earth shouldn't it happen? Uh, she shared memories and anecdotes for many star turns on stage, uh, from being Juliet, which you know, I, I guess because she's older, you don't think about her being Juliet, but she's been on the stage. She's been an actress for a very long time. Uh, she recalled one time their corset was laced so tightly that she fainted in the heat in another memorable performance in London where she dropped a cheeky note into the lap of a man seeing the audience who she thought was a friend of hers. Um, she said that, and this is what it says in the article, she supposed that elf's out of the question. I, I think that's supposed to be F-U-C-K. But okay. okay, okay, okay. Let me make sure everybody understands this. So... She was doing a performance, and she decided to go up to an audience member and drop a note in his lap. She thought she knew this person, and uh, the note said, I suppose a F-U-C-K-S is out of the question. Yeah. (laughs) And as it turned out, the man was a stranger. Yeah, so I, I saw that part there, but I thought that was kind of interesting. The rest of the article just goes on to tell about her time as an actor, and or actress, I should say, and some of the problems that she's having. She's having a degenerative eye condition now that's making her sight uh, start to lose, and it's hard for her to read script and memorize lines. Um, you know, she said that she used to be able to learn the lines, remember them very easily uh but like i said she's starting to do that so i think she's trying to get out there and i think that's the reason that brendan O'Hay is helping her uh, uh write the book uh the book is uh supposed to come out in april of 2024 in the united states um uh, she says this is her words i can't see but i have a book coming out thanks to brendan's eyes and his ideas <laughs> so uh so she just, thought she saw a ghost and then she came back and said maybe it wasn't a ghost yeah, well, I think her eye condition is uh, worse now uh, than it was back in 1998 where she claims to have seen the ghost, the Haymarket ghost. Uh, but like I said, she did say that she's starting to see and she can't read scripts. And it's malacular, mal- I can't say it, so that's the reason I'm going to say it. But degeneration, uh, monacular or malacular, I can't say how it's supposed to be, but... Anyway, that's what she's suffering from, and she's starting okay, so, to lose her vision. So, Adam, just picture this. You're in London, and you show up to watch uh, Judy Dench perform in this play. You don't give a shit about Judy Dench, but she happens to be there performing. And uh, She drops a note in my During lap. the intermission, <laughs> she walks by, and she drops this note in your lap. Yeah. <laughs> you're not married. You're single. <laughs> what do you, how do you respond, Adam? Dame Judy Ditch, it would be an honor, but I'm going to say no. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe 20 years ago, Judy, <laughs> but, you know, 88 Damn. years old, I just, I don't know. Okay, what if, <laughs> what if in addition to the uh, the note, she dropped like 10 grand with it? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm always hard up for money, <laughs> so that may make it a little more appealing. Okay, I figured everybody, I mean, everybody's got a price. That's uh, right, you know, everybody's so a whore. It's just apparently how yours, is, yours is 10 grand for Judy <laughs> For Judy Ditch. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I have a sliding scale, just depending on who it is that asks. <laughs> okay, all right, well, that's enough for uh, Ghost News. We probably better quit while we're ahead there so <laughs> yeah, absolutely uh, now we'll transition into adam's terrifying tidbit of the week well uh, i assume we're still talking about halloween candy yeah we are uh, so um this one while not quite the same as the others it is a little different um it is uh one of these fears that people have here so this week we have 
cocaine lace candy. Nice. Well, it's really not cocaine uh, lace candy. Let me explain to you what happened. In 2012, a UK man did actually uh, accidentally hand out coke to trick-or-treaters. This man's name was Donald Jr. Green. Um, Basically, and this is probably the part that makes it the craziest part of the story to me, he was out walking around on Halloween and somebody comes up to him and says, trick-or-treat. So he digs in his pockets because he thinks he has some. And first of all, I, I'm sure most people know. I know what you know what these are. The Harbo um, gummy yeah. bears. He had some in those pockets. So just some random kids stop him on his pockets. And uh, his he was an apprentice panel beater. I don't know what that is, but that was his jo- job. So he digs in his pockets. He's going to give these kids these Harbo uh, gummies. And he pulls them out. He throws it in the bag and he walks off. Um, what he did is he dropped in. He had earlier in the day spent 200 uh, pounds, euros, I'm not quite sure what it was, but $200, let's say it is. He had bought $200 worth of cocaine. <laughs> and so he took nice. that bag of cocaine that had... Um, was this in the 80s? Uh, no, this is the 2012. Wow, okay. So this is just a little over 10 years ago. But anyway, he takes it and he throws it in the bag and he he goes on. He goes back to his apartment. He digs in his pockets and he pulls out his cocaine. Happens just to be the Harbo treats. So he realizes he is giving the wrong thing to the wrong kids. (laughs) So being the the citizen that he is, he does decide that, oh man, I got to find these kids so they don't know what it is. But on top of everything like this, Guess the profession of the uh, uh, father that was walking with those kids. He's in law enforcement. He was a police officer, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) So um, he goes on, he finds them, uh, but he looks for them. But however, the officer gets back and he gets there and he goes and he says, Guys, (laughs) this guy's giving my kids drugs. So... Um, he was charged on a single charge of possessing a Class A drug on October 31st of 2012. Um, he did get sentenced to a 12-month community order. I ordered him to do 130 hours of community work, and he must pay the court 145 pounds uh, just for the, the court costs and everything like that. Um, so, like I said, uh, it goes on to say his girlfriend had bought some of the small bags of the Harbo sweet tr- uh, the treats, the sweets. Uh, they had been given to trick-or-treat nunniers in the night. So, I think in his mind he was trying to do a good thing because people said trick-or-treat to him. Oh, hey, I'll give you some candy. He just happens to give it to a police officer's children and then ends up getting caught with that. And he ended up, uh, did facing some, you know, community service and stuff. But he had never been in trouble before. Uh, so, I think he kind of got the, the lower side of it. But, uh... Uh, wow. Like he said, he'd gone back in inside, he put his hand in his pocket, and he still pulled out the herbo, and he realized what he'd done, and then he tried to go find the kid, and um, they say when he went to the door to the police who arrived to arrest him, he told him, I know exactly why you're here, I know why you're coming. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, I mean, at least he didn't try to hide from it or whatever, but just, just a horrible story there to happen. The kid but, probably went in his bedroom for a few minutes, and the Dad opened the door, and there's like white stuff all over the boy's <laughs> nostrils, and he, <laughs> and it was too late. It's but hey, at least sugar. the guy, at least he tried to go back and get it. I mean, he didn't. Yeah. Uh, which I don't know if it was so much he was worried about the kid, or he just wanted his dope back. Well, but, uh, I, I don't know either, and it doesn't say. But I did think it was funny that the police showed up as far as like, I know why you're here. <laughs> Just go ahead and arrest me. Um, I know what right. I did. <laughs> so right. I thought that was funny. But anyway, that's that's a little different. I don't think he's trying to hurt anybody or anything like that. But you know, we just talk about kids getting stuff. So. Like I said, you, I think sometimes maybe it even isn't trying to do stuff and just get caught with it. But uh, well, that's, so that's sad. I mean, the dude he just bought his he just bought his cocaine. He's just trying to be cool and give the kid some candy and and screwed up. So yeah, if you're running around with crystal meth or heroin or uh, in this case cocaine, and a kid walks up to you and ask ask you for some candy, pay attention to what you're putting into their little Halloween bucket. Yeah, give them the actual candy, not the booger yeah. sugar. Right. All right, so uh, 
That's it for this week's terrifying tidbit with Adam. So we're going to jump into tonight's case. This one uh, is unusual um, because it deals with, uh, well, it's an, it's an establishment or uh, I'm trying to think of what, what the right word for this is, but it's something that we've never done a show on before um, and we may never again. But tonight we're talking about the Monterey Bay Aquarium, which is supposedly very haunted. Now, uh, it's a nonprofit. If you're not familiar with it, it's a nonprofit public aquarium in Mon Monterey, California. Uh, it's known for its regional focus on the marine habitats of Monterey Bay. Uh, it was the first to exhibit a living kelp forest when it opened in October 1994. Uh, and and I, I looked at some pictures of this kelp forest. Um, it it's the only one of its kind in the world, at least in an aquarium. It's pretty neat looking thing if you get a chance to look at it. Um, its biologists have pioneered the animal husbandry of jellyfish, and it was the first to successfully care for and display a great white shark. The organization's research and conservation efforts also focus on sea otters, various birds and tunas, Seafood Watch, which is a, a sustainable seafood advisory list published by the aquarium beginning in 1999, has influenced the discussions surrounding sustain sustainable seafood. Uh, the aquarium is the home of the current oldest living sea otter named Rosa and the birthplace of Otter 841. Now, if you don't remember, because I, I do remember this, uh, not that long ago, uh, there was a sea otter that was making national news, um, female sea otter, that, and it was because of her aggressive interactions with surfers and kayakers off the coast of Santa Cruz. Uh, she was knocking people off their paddle boards and, and trying to jump into kayaks with people. Um, and uh, she was actually, come to find out, she was born in captivity at Monterey Bay Aquarium and was released into the wild in June 2023. So it was just earlier this year, a few months ago, uh, when she became, um, got a lot of na national attention for, for terrorizing people in the water out there. But uh, she's known as Sea Otter 841, but... Anyway, that's a little bit on the background of Monterey Bay Aquarium. Adam, I, I think now's your time to tell us a little bit, bit about the history. So, back in the early 1960s, scientists at Stanford University's Hopkins Marine Station grew rare to grow in industry on Cannery Road. If you're unaware, Cannery Road is the waterfront street bordering the, Pacific, the city of Pacific Grove, but officially a new Monterey section in Monterey, California. It used to be full of sardine canning factories back in the day. Uh, the Hopkins Marine Station succeeded in convincing the university, university of the concerns in 1967, and Stanford University purchased the property of Cannery Road that housed the Hoveden Cannery, a sardine cannery on the border of Monterey and Pacific Grove. Hoveden Cannery closed in 1973 when its parent company moved the plant, and Hopkins used the facility as a warehouse. In the late 1970s, however, Chuck Baxter and Robin Burnett, both faculty members at Hopkins, along with Nancy Burnett, a graduate of Moss uh, Landing Marine Laboratories, and Steve Webster, a faculty at San Jose State University, thought of building an aquarium on the Hoveden Cannery site. Three separate proposals for an aquarium in Monterey County had already occurred in 1914, 1925, and 1944, but financial backing and public support for the idea were not sufficient. Nancy Burnett thought the group's interest to her parents, Lucille and David Packard, which if that last name sounds familiar, they were co-founders of Hewlett Packard, which is the, the computer company which is most commonly known as HP today. I um, had to set up an HP printer today at my office. Did you? Yeah, it's still, they're still around, I think, I want to say my, the most recent computer I bought was an HP computer, but I'm not sure, but um, I bought it for my, one of my children, my son. Uh, but anyway, uh, so she brought to there, and they had a foundation that would give money. Uh, the foundation commissioned a feasibility study, and an aquarium was predicted to attract around 300,000 paying visitors annually with potential future increase to 500,000 or so. 
in April 1978, the, the Packards created the Monterey Bay Aquarium Foundation, which purchased the Hoven property from Stanford for nearly $1 million. Uh, now, like I said, I, I don't know how often you go to aquariums. There's a new aquarium in our state down the coast, which I've not been to. I don't know if you've been to it, but aquariums are a big thing in certain places. I haven't. Uh, the company that I now work for, they... Actually, they've got a sponsorship thing going on there. Um, well, that's good. But aquariums are a big deal. There's a really nice one in, in uh, New Orleans I've been to a few times. There's one in Atlanta. Uh, there's one right. in Chattanooga. There's a lot of them around here that are real big and nice and things. And they're interesting. Um, one of the most interesting things is like where you can get in those that actually like take you through the water. Like you walk like a, tunnel, the, a tunnel like a through tunnel. the water. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, um, the daughter, uh, uh, Julie Packard, who's the daughter of uh, David and Lucille, also joined the planning group around this time. David Packard funded construction with an initial donation of $7 million with the caveat that the private nonprofit would be financially self-supporting after it opened. Due to an expansion of its planned exhibits after visits to public aquariums in Japan and the design and creation exhibits in-house, the Packers paid a final sum of $55 million. So they paid all this money, really. You oh, know, hell, they it. got it. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> um, you know, they, this is for their daughters and things like that, so I think it was okay for them. But um, a general contracting firm, Rudolph and Sletlin, I, I want to say. Um, Sletton. 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 Okay. Sound like you, you want to say slutting or something. Yeah, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. But Anyway, they predicted the building would take 31 months, two and a half years to construct. But project manager Linda Rhodes and architectural firm Eastrick, Hornsey, Dodge, and Davis, EHDD, had to, first design, <laughs> had to first design the facility to fit Cannery Road. Those involved intend to reconstruct Hoven Cannery rather than destroy it, and the ACD acknowledged that the latter would be a big disservice to our visiting public and to the community. Concrete sections of the building were able to be kept, but other areas were repurposed. The Cannery's old warehouse was converted into administrative offices, and a seawater system for the aquatic exhibits replaced the Cannery's pump house that bought fish to the warehouse from the floating storage tanks in the bay. Which is kind of interesting. I guess they just kept the, the sardines out in the water and just pumped them in and canned them. Uh, which, <laughs> yeah. you know, I, I don't know. Are you, big, are you a big canned fish eater? Do you eat I sardines? I love sardines. I will eat canned oysters. Yes. I, I don't, it seems like the older I get, the more I enjoy it. That My favorite thing in the world to eat is seafood. I love all kinds of seafood. It, the only thing I won't eat is sushi. I'm not a big fan of that. But, uh. Everything else, man, I'm all about it. So put them damn sardines in the can. I'll eat them. <laughs> I'm not a big fan of sardines. I'll eat tuna, uh, but uh, I am a big fan of seafood as well. My father-in-law is a shrimper, so I you know, eat it quite a bit and things. But uh, I, canned sardines, canned fish. The, when I was growing up, my dogs would get sick, and my mom would buy canned mackerel. And uh, she'd feed that to the dogs because it's got a lot of oil in it and it's supposed to be really good for the dogs. And she would do that. But like I said, I, I'm just not a big fan of canned fish. But I'll eat some tuna sometimes. So um, Anyway, the, faculty, the, the facility was constructed around the Cannery's Buller House, which is preserved as a non-functioning public exhibit. As the building resided partially over the water, unique challenges occurred throughout construction. Nearly half of the aquarium would be located over the bay in depths of up to 120 feet, wow. requiring foundational elements to be installed during low tide, which often occurred at night. According to a project manager with uh, Rudolph and Sletton, uh, excavations were sometimes lost as the composition of the ground underneath the beach sand was inconsistent. When Monterey Bay Aquarium opened on October 20, 1984, it was the largest public aquarium in the United States. On opening day, 11,000 people visited and around 30,000 people attended the day's festivities. In reference to the disappearance of the sardines through overfishing which caused canneries to close, the aquarium said that the fish are back. So they used the, the fact that the canneries had to close because there was no more sardines, but now they're saying the fish are back. So Yeah, they were trying to be clever with their yeah. marketing. Yeah, throughout the following year, 2.4 million people visited uh, the aquarium, which influenced assumptions about the ability of marine life to entertain, educate, and promote a city. 
Within five years, reported by the Los Angeles Times, that was among California's most popular visitor attractions. By 1994, it was the most attended aquarium in the United States. For its design, EHDD was awarded a National Honor Award from the American Institute of Architects in 1988. The Institute State Chapter in California gave the facility its 25-year award in 2011. In 2016, it was awarded the National 25-Year Award, described as a benchmark and role models for aquariums everywhere. In December of 2020, uh, the Native Dodd Medical Center in Salinas was... Uh, Native Dodd? I don't know how to say that. Native, <laughs> just keep Native, going. <laughs> it's I not say, important to what you're going to tell us. I can tell you it's in Salinas. So it's, a damn, it's a damn medical center. It's yeah, spelled it's like just, Native Native Dad, Native Dodd. So anyway. No, anyway. It looks like Natividad to me. Maybe really... so. Um, anyway, it was loaned a deep freeze fridge from the aquarium in order to allow the hospital to store uh, the COVID-19 vaccine at negative 94 degrees Fahrenheit. Normally, the aquarium uses the freezer for preserving biological and veterinarian samples. Prior to the loan, the hospital had planned on keeping the vaccine on dry ice, which would mean changing dry ice every five days. Due to the aquarium's closure during the COVID-19 pandemic between April of 2020 and January 2021, a total of 243 staff were laid off or furloughed. So, just a little interesting part there, some of the things that it played through and being able to use some of its equipment there during the COVID um, outbreak, the pandemic, to help get some of the vaccines out there. So, just a real interesting building. Um, you have some pictures of it there. Um you know, we were talking earlier about the aquarium in Mississippi. I don't know if you remember that. Is it the Davis? I can't remember what it's called down there on the coast. It's very similar to that. Like has the openings out to the ocean and things like that. Uh, just the way it's designed. Um, right. Just an interesting looking building. But uh, like I said, uh, aquariums are fun. Um, I enjoy going to them. And, you know, this is being one of the most popular attractions in California. You think about what's in California. You got all as a... Uh, course disneyland's there uh universal studios there you got knott's farms you got all these different things that are there and this is one of the most popular visitor attractions so that just speaks to its popularity and its beauty and stuff like that yeah it is a pretty neat looking place and it's pretty big and uh but yeah that's cool even the uh you wouldn't think of an aquarium joining in the effort to fight covid19 uh, but this one did back in uh, December 2020. So uh, that was interesting about the history of Monterey Bay Aquarium. Now let's get on to the haunting here. Um, as Adam said, it used to be a cannery. So you've got a lot of old buildings. Uh, you have an old building, got a very historic industry. You've got people that work there endless hours. Um who knows what all occurred in that cannery, uh, but the aquarium has a rich history, and you wouldn't expect that out of an aquarium, but, but it does. Um, numerous staff, volunteers, even visitors have said they've seen or experienced things that they can't explain. Now, many people suspect that all the shenanigans that they encounter there are caused by ghosts of workers at the Hobden Cannery, uh, that, that Adam talked about earlier. That's exactly where the aquarium sits now. There are a lot of structural elements of that old cannery uh, that were purposely saved and incorporated into the new aquarium building, like the uh, silo-like pump, pump house outside near the uh, Great Tide Pool. So we're going to talk about some of the paranormal and ghostly happenings that have happened there over the years. And by the way, this information that I'm going to give you, it comes straight from the Monterey Bay Aquarium's site. They actually have an entire section just about uh, the, the ghost or paranormal aspect of the, uh, of the aquarium. So first we're going to start with, with the vault door. So early one morning, a motion alarm sent aquarium security officers to the area housing the vault. They found the vault door open, but no one was inside or in the adjacent area. Now, keep in mind, this is during the night uh, when no one else is there but, but the security guards. So the officers went back. They reviewed surveillance video, 
and they were surprised to see the door had opened itself. There's actually a camera inside the vault that's activated by motion at night. During the incident, the camera started recording inside at the same time the outer door opened. So was the door open from the inside? Other cameras showed no one in the area or inside the vault when the door opened. Was the door left open by mistake? Officers patrol the aquarium throughout the night. They always check this specific door to make sure that it's latched. It was reported secure each time it was checked that morning and the night before. This area is part of the original cannery and one of the oldest sections of the building. Some security officers think the vault door was opened by ghosts from the old cannery workers, and they were just playing a trick. There is video of this door opening and closing. I don't know if you had a chance to see it, Adam. It was two, two different cameras. There's one on the outside of the door that shows it, and then there's another one on the inside of the vault that shows the door opening. It is very strange. There doesn't seem to be any um, explanation for why it would happen. I did listen to a security guard's interview, and he said, or he was interviewed on this, and he initially said he thought maybe what, the way he tried to explain it away was the maybe the AC came on, and there was some kind of pressure change in there that caused the uh, that caused the the door to open. But the more they investigated it, uh, it just wasn't possible. That would be the, a huge pressure change to make correct, it like that. It would be. So there's also supported or reportedly a woman in black. So the security officers, as I said, they work around the clock. Um, uh, the, the graveyard shift, if you've ever worked a graveyard shift, middle of the night, it's quiet, not a lot goes on. Uh, if the place wasn't haunted, it would probably be a very boring job in the middle of the night. Uh, but a lot of security guards have reported odd sights and eerie sounds that happened during their late-night rounds. Some reported the appearance and the sudden disappearance of a woman in a black gown who haunts the open sea wing. On monitors inside the security, security office, one saw her standing under the anchovy roundabout. Another watched her glide by the huge open sea exhibit. When they went to investigate, she was nowhere to be found. One officer's encounter was too close. Uh, he was walking through the Ocean Traveler's Gallery adjacent to the Open Sea exhibit. He passed a woman in a black gown sitting on a bench only a few feet away. She nodded, and he said hello and kept walking. He stopped abruptly a few steps later, thinking, wait a minute. <laughs> Why is somebody in here in the middle of the night? But he turned around, and the woman was gone. Uh, there's also uh, instances reported where jingling keys are heard. So the security manager there, his name is Kevin Wright. He typically flips his keys over his finger as he walks, making a jingling sound that lets others know that he's close by. He does this especially during his rounds on the graveyard shift. Now, late one night, he was flipping his keys as usual, and he crossed the bridge between the ocean's edge and open sea wings. After just entering the open sea galleries, he heard the bridge creak. And, of course, instinctively, he turned to see who was coming across. He didn't see anybody. He was puzzled by this, so he stopped flipping his keys. And at that moment, he could hear someone else, and their keys were jingling behind him. So he slowed down and asked out loud, how's it going? Thinking, of course, that it's another guard, maybe. He got no answer, but the sound of the jingling keys stopped. He turned on his flashlight and looked behind him, and no one was there. He kept walking toward the open sea exhibit, once again flipping his keys. He rounded a corner. He again heard keys jingling behind him, but much closer this time. He spun around to see who was behind him, assuming it was somebody just messing with him. But again, nobody was there. He backtracked to the bridge, but never saw anyone. He called the security office to ask where the night crew was, only to be told that everyone was gone. At this point, the usually unflappable Kevin, uh, he was slightly creeped out, <laughs> and that was his words, Should and he went back to the... Huh? Should be a lot creeped out. Yeah, I, I would have been a lot creeped out. It's okay, Kevin. You can, you can admit you were scared. 
absent-mindedly, well, I mean, he was creeped out, so he went back to the office. Now, absent-mindedly, he crossed back over the bridge. It creaked right behind him. He spun around again, saw nothing. But this time, he felt a draft brush past his arm. So he kept his flashlight on for the remainder of his rounds that night. Uh, and and uh, he probably was a little more than slightly creeped out by that point. Now, there's another story that involves Kevin. Uh, there was another night when uh, he saw someone in front of him while crossing the bridge to the open sea galleries. So the silhouette of the man made him think that it was another officer that was on duty that night. So there's another guy there. He's a big and tall guy. His name was Essex. And he had a very distinctive walk. So Kevin watched as this figure, and again, it's a silhouette, uh, but he watched it walk to the sardine roundabout and lay down on the carpet below. Uh, apparently, this sardine roundabout is kind of relaxing, and other people that visit the aquarium, they will occasionally lay down and just look at the sardine swimming in a circle. Uh, so it wasn't uncommon to see that. However, at night, it was, wasn't something you would expect a fellow guard to do. Uh, so he was bewildered by this. Kevin shouted out, hey, Essex, why are you taking a nap right there? From about 15 feet behind Kevin, Essex replied, what are you talking about? Kevin spun around and saw Essex walking right behind him. Kevin turned back toward the open sea wing and the napping person, whoever the hell it was, had completely disappeared. So it wasn't Essex. Kevin called the control room to ask if anyone was doing rounds, but was told that the person had uh, that the per other person had already left for the night. So Kevin shared what had just happened to him and e with Essex. Um, and by the way, Essex is a firm believer in ghosts and supernatural events. Kevin said Essex just laughed and said, "You're on your own. I'm not going over there until the lights come on." And then he walked his ass back to security office and left the unflappable Kevin alone. So, <laughs> poor Kevin. Yeah, I don't. Um, Kevin said, I, "Look, I don't know who it was. I don't know what it was. I just know it walked like Essex. It looked like Essex, but it wasn't ex Essex." Um, now, there's two different aquarium employees that have said they've experienced odd occurrences at the old steam boilers just inside the entrance. These large two-story metal machines are historical artifacts from the sardine heyday of the Hobden Cannery. Now, one night, Senior Public Program Specialist Kristen Mole, uh, she was helping set up for a sleepover event, and sharing, she began sharing stories with a lot of her teen volunteers. Uh, the discussion came around to the nearby boilers and the rumors of ghostly goings on at the aquarium. Kristen assumed that everyone that, or she, I'm sorry, Kristen assured everyone that the boilers had behaved very well in the years since she'd worked at the aquarium and there was nothing to worry about as far as ghosts were concerned. But later that evening, uh, Kristen noticed that the huge metal door to one of the boilers was open. Now she swears she can't remember ever seeing that door open before. But then she rationalized to herself that it had probably been open all along and she just noticed it because the group had been talking about haunted boilers. So a few days later, Kristen was working at another sleepover. It was already nighttime and dark and quiet inside the aquarium. As she talked to security staff near the boiler exhibit, uh, she glanced up and noticed that this same boiler door was still slightly ajar. She told the security uh, the security guard, her previous story and her theory that the door was pro had probably been open all along. Uh, the security guard said the boiler doors aren't kept open for any reason and definitely not opened and closed regularly. By 10 p.m., she was making sure everyone was settling in for the night. She was walking by the boilers and on her way out and was shocked to see the same boiler door was definitely open and this time it was much wider than she than it had been earlier when she and the security guard had talked. She asked the security again, you know, if someone had climbed up to open the door as a joke because, you know, she had brought it up, and the officer assured her that it's neither easy nor safe to open those doors and that no one would be allowed to climb on the historic structures just to play a joke on another member of the staff. 
maybe the prankster was related to the apparition seen by digital engagement associate Rachel Rachel Wong. She was settling or setting out decorations for the Halloween dance party for members, uh, and she stopped when out of the corner of her eye she saw a person standing on the narrow second-story landing of a boiler. Now, again, no one's allowed there, and no one has access there. Uh, when she fully turned around, the person completely vanished. Rachel swears there was nothing at that location she would mistake for another person. No decorations, nothing. She's worked at the aquarium for seven years, and she's never seen anything like that. She suspects the scary specter was just the ghost of an old cannery worker just going about his business tending to the boilers. So, in other words, she thinks maybe it was a residual haunting. Um, the Open Seas Anchovy Roundabout, it's at the heart of another ghostly tale. Local author and historian Randall A. Reinstedt has written several books about haunted places around California, and especially the Central Coast, Ghost Notes in California, Ghost Notes. Uh, one chilling story involves a woman who visited the aquarium with her husband and daughter in 1996. This was the debut, debut year of the Outer Bay, which is now called Open Sea. Uh, it's a gallery. Um, as the family marveled at the shimmering school of anchovies in the roundabout at the gallery entrance, the woman felt a hand on her shoulder. She heard someone whisper in her ear and felt breath on her hair. The voice was soft and foreign. Thinking it was another visitor, the woman turned around but saw no one except for her family still watching the anchovy exhibit. She realized they didn't have the same experience, which unsettled her enough that she quickly went to the bookstore so she could feel safe around other people. Uh, there was one employee that was working uh, at the former member entrance of, off Hobden Way when she noticed something out of the corner of her eye. Now, thinking it was a guest, she turned around, but no one was there. This happened repeatedly. Once she caught a glimpse of a man's hand resting on the desk that moved closer and closer until she not only saw not only the hand, but also an arm up to the elbow inside a yellow plaid shirt. The vision disappeared instantly when she turned around to see who this was. One day, she'd had enough, and out loud, she asked her ghostly guest to stop pestering her. The number of encounters dropped after that, but she said she'd always catch one glimpse uh, of the man in the yellow plaid shirt every time she worked at the desk. So finally, um, there's another officer that had an unforgettable experience on a foggy night, or actually more than one foggy night, uh, multiple years ago when the entrance was gated. Uh, for no apparent reason, and, and didn't have an explanation for it, but he saw large, wet footprints that absolutely appeared out of nowhere on the sidewalk outside the entrance. The footprints would always travel from the sidewalk underneath the locked gate before disappearing. And there was another officer that even said that he heard the laughter of children, as if they were running and playing somewhere. But in this case, it was the middle of the night and in the basement. Um, so that's a lot of ghost stories, Adam, for this haunted or seemingly haunted aquarium. What do you, what do you make of this? Yeah, a lot of different stories, a lot of things that are kind of similar, you know, the different things that people see, same people seeing it over and over, uh, you know, stuff moving uncontrolled or un uncontrolled or without any human interference. So, Lots of different stories there going into it. Um, I think places like this that have a past history, like factories, um, we talked about sloths, furnaces, different things along those lines. I think people look at those and they're more apt to believe them because I am more apt to believe a factory. Um, I, I'm a, you know, by trade, well, I'm a school too. I mean, at least with Sloss Furnaces, we, we heard stories about death and uh, evil, you know, slag, the, the evil foreman that worked there. And we I didn't don't hear know. It. I, there was not any mention of any deaths that occurred at this cannery. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, clearly there were a lot of people that worked there, and they did for a long time. And uh, 
a lot of people doing the same things over and over and over again because that's what you do in a factory. Yeah. Places well, like that, to me, it does seem like if you're going to have a residual haunting, um, factories, because they're doing the same things over and over and over again, it seems like they might be more susceptible to that kind of ha- haunting. Well, factories, even if it's not, or they don't talk about it, people do die there. I mean, your your father, not to put it out there, worked in factories on time. I know he's been around when people have got seriously hurt or died, right? In sure, factories. it happens. So, I mean, yeah, exactly. So, I think that that, and it's a tragic way to die. I mean, I can't imagine much more of a tragic way to die rather than being involved in, you know, something at work. So, uh you know, I think there's probably a lot of truth to those stories and people, the spirits being there. And um, I can't remember the name of the hotel that we talked about in Canada and Alberta, uh, where we talked about the fact of the I man. It's Banff who, Springs. I think that's right. But um, you know, we had talked about the man who was a doorman there, who loved his job and wanted to be back there. People spend people spend tons of time at their jobs, and I think people almost become it's a second home for a lot of people so i see that those interactions and things there could have happened and so i think a lot of this stuff here just due to its history due to its time it's been out there the stuff that's happened the stuff that there's now this is almost like two worlds colliding because you have the world of work and now you have one of california's most popular attractions so you have a factory that parts of it have been saved and then parts of it have been incorporated into the new aquarium so i could see a lot of this these things happening here okay well why don't you go ahead and explain our rating scale as you always do so eloquently so that we can uh we can rate this thing i'll try to do my best so uh, do it eloquently. We, yeah, I'm trying to do it eloquently, but that's going to be hard for me to do. Um, we have a, uh, a scale that goes one through five, with one being that we don't believe and five being that we fully believe. So if you get a five, that means we believe the place is haunted, and we believe that if you were to go there, you would have some experience with the hauntings there. Fours, there's not enough reasonable doubt for us to say that it's not haunted. We believe that the stories are true. We believe that most stuff there, there's just some things that kind of make us wonder, hey, I wonder if this place is truly haunted, so and so forth there. Three is there's not enough intel to make a good decision. Uh, we, we think it's probably haunted. There's some things that really cause us to question it. But for the most part, this is, well, a four basically says, yeah, it's probably haunted. This one says, well, it may be haunted. Uh, two, uh, kind of on the same thing, we have reasonable doubts. There's lots of things that lead us to question whether or not it's haunted. Uh, there's some truth to the stories that are probably told that probably encourage us to believe it's true, but there's just some doubts that we have there that it is actually haunted. And then one is we don't believe it all. That means that we don't believe the place is haunted, and we believe that uh, uh, based on the information that this is not a place you could go and want to see ghosts. So uh, I usually talk about the 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 place that we're talking about in my speech first so I'm going to go ahead and go tonight uh, I typically say that you know these things that we see in this location you've got a long extensive past even though we didn't talk about the death and we didn't talk about that stuff I'm almost 100% certain, certain some of those things happened there uh, I think that based on the different ways that people the different people that have seen multiple things there I, I see a lot of information in there that would lead me to believe this place is haunted. So when I give my rating this week, I'm going to give this a four. I do believe this place is haunted. Uh, I, I, the, 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 the way that an aquarium is set up, uh, the fact that, you know, the security guard talks about nobody should be in there seeing people, uh, that really leads me to believe, hey, there's probably something there. So I'm giving this one a four. How about you, CG? Well, I'm kind of on the same page with you. Um, four seems to be the right the right way to go on this one, too. I mean, there's just so much. Uh, we've got video evidence that I talked about. Um, we've got lots and lots and lots of eyewitness accounts from all different time frames, all different walks of life. We've got uh, eyewitness accounts from 
people that work there. We've got uh, same thing from people that have just, you know, that are, are there visiting as a, uh, a patron. Um, there's just too much here to, to rate it anything less than a four. Honestly, I'm not, I, I was close to saying five, but I think I need just a little bit more uh, before we can put it put it to that point. I I will tell you that this uh, just so you know, it has had a uh, there have been movie you know it's in California. There are movies that have been filmed there and have used that location uh, for some of their filming. Like for an instance, uh, Star Trek. Is it Star Trek for the Voyage Home? Yes, I think so. Are you so. a Star Trek fan? I'm not, but I think four is the Voyage Home. That's the one with the whales. Correct. That's the one with the whales in it. Warwick Davis wasn't in that movie, was he? I don't think so. Are you sure? He was, he was a Star Wars actor, not a Star Trek actor. <laughs> well, I mean, he can be in both. Why the hell couldn't he be in both? Well, he starred in Leprechaun, so... He did. He did. He's been in. He was in the Harry Potter franchise. He was in. Uh, why couldn't he be in? Are you sure he's never been in a Star Trek movie? I don't I, think he's ever I'm been in Star look Trek. This up. I'm trying to look it up. <laughs> I don't think he's ever been in Star Trek. Warwick Davis, Star Trek. I, I. It's going to make my day if he's been in a in a Star Trek movie. Uh, but I think it's safe to say at some point he's probably visited this aquarium because it's. Right around the corner from where he, uh, from where he lives, I believe. No, it doesn't look like Warwick Davis has ever been in a Star Trek movie. Damn, that sucks. <laughs> okay, I was holding out hope that maybe he was part of that movie and got to, you know, he was there while they filmed scenes for the movie at the aquarium, but apparently not. All right. So anyway, I, I got way off track there. Yeah. If you average our scores together, that's a four. Which means we think it's haunted. Um, if you if you've had your own experience there, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at uh, theghostcasters at gmail dot com. You can also follow us on Instagram to see pictures of this place. Uh, and as I said, I'll I'll try to get some of the video and stuff that we talked about, even in our news story earlier. Uh, try to get all that on the Instagram page at least the next couple of days. Um, Seems like there's some. Oh, there's other, one other thing I was going to recommend to everyone. Uh, there's a great podcast. It's called Spooked, and there is a an episode on the um, on the Monterey Bay Aquarium, and I it's a recent episode, and I believe the title of it is Night at the Aquarium. And so the inflappable Kevin that we talked about earlier, he basically gives he tells a lot of these stories that we just talked about tonight in his own words uh, about his his own experiences and hearing him talk about it again that that to me helps me believe he seems very credible I guess is what I'm trying to say um, so if you like this kind of stuff I would strongly recommend going to spooked and listening to the episode called night at the aquarium all right, Adam, any closing or final thoughts here? Yeah, one thing for people this week is you go out, you know it is, as we always been saying for the last couple of weeks, it is spooky season. So I know a lot of people are going out. One of the things that are real big is that a lot of people go out to haunted houses, haunted trails, and stuff like that. One thing I'd like to see this week, if you go out and you visit a haunted trail or haunted uh, house or whatever it may be, uh, if you want to take a picture and tag us in it, that'd be great. Um, I don't know, uh, you heard CG earlier talk about his community's haunted trail. Uh, where I live at, there's a famous fire station that does like a haunted trail kind of thing, haunted house. Uh, and there's some really ones, one of the best ones I ever went to, we have a, a place here in Meridian where I live at. It's called the Temple Theater. Uh, it's an old theater. Uh, and they used to do some haunted tours through it. Uh, it was real fun, real interested. 
uh, some history goes along with it. And I know every city, every town, every little community has their own individual things. And if you got something that you think is really cool or really, uh, you know, stands out, please send us in it. Tell us what about it. Send us a link to it. We love to hear about it and see what you're doing in your community. So just interact with us. Go to the Instagram page and just share it with us or email us or whatever you want. We just want to see those type of things if you're doing anything interesting here because next week won't be Halloween for us anymore. It'll be already passed uh, probably uh, and we'll be into the month of November. We're going from um, spooky to gobble. So uh, we'll start talking about some different things as we go into next month. But this hey, is like type a there's like a horror movie coming, a Thanksgiving-based horror yeah, movie coming out. Yeah, isn't it? I, yeah, I've seen the previews for it. I don't think I'll be watching it. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, they started doing like every holiday. Like you had like what was it, New Year's and Valentine's Day movies? Yeah, they were talking Thanksgiving, and now it's a horror movie. The other ones were like love stories. So, and we had the action movie last year for Christmas. Uh, yeah. With David Harbour. What was that? Violent Night. I Violent love that Night. damn movie. Yeah, I, I saw, saw that movie twice in the theater. Um, yeah. I loved it. And they're working on a sequel to it, by the way. All right, we're rambling All right. again. All yeah. right, look, everybody have a great, safe week. Have I hope everybody has a fantastic, fun time for Halloween. Hopefully the spooks and goblins won't get you. Uh, if they do, uh, let us know about it. If they kill you and you become a ghost, please haunt Adam. Uh, we'll, hopefully we'll be back next week with an all new haunting on Ghostcasters podcast good night Matt Martin